Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. Guess what? We're finally back into Mark. We're in Mark 1, uh, verses 14 through 20. And uh, this is all about the good news. So I'm going to have uh, Alan start us off just telling us what does this mean? Well, um, Mark here is basically introducing Jesus' ministry. And, um, and so he's, he's preaching, Jesus is preaching the good news of God. Notice, it's the good news of God here, which is interesting. Um, now, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, it's interesting because Jesus' proclamation is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's word for word the same as John the Baptist preaching. That's the way Matthew mm-hmm. represents it. But in Mark, as we saw a couple weeks ago, John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. while Jesus is preaching the good news of God, which is seems very different. And I think I think that's a good thing because, um, you know, John's ministry was f- specifically focused toward calling the people to repent mm-hmm. and to turn from um, the ways in which they had strayed from God. Um, Jesus was, was in a different space. And I, I think to some extent, quite frankly, I think Matthew, by, by having Jesus say the same words that John said, he's trying to show that they were on the same page, but I think maybe he over, overdoes it a little bit. Because I think in reality, if you look at Jesus' gospel, it's a lot more open and embracing than John's gospel is, or John's message is. Mm-hmm. John's sure. message is never called a gospel. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, as I think about gospel, if I would ask folks, a lot of people would say the gospel is the coming of Jesus. So yes, yes. What, what, is, what is the good news? Well, I, I will say this. I, I think um, that the reference to euangelion here, the, the Greek word for gospel, for good news, I think points us back to the proclamation of the good news to the poor by the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 61.1, which we looked at a few weeks ago. And, um, and so I think what we're looking at is this idea that God, the good news is that God is coming to redeem his people slash all people. Uh, and so in Mark 1.15, we do have a summary of Jesus' gospel. And it's one of the mm-hmm. fullest ones, actually, mm-hmm. in the gospel right. tradition. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That's a pretty um, full uh, summary of Jesus' gospel, Right, I think. right. And yet here we are with this good news. The time um, believe in the good news. Is the good news the kingdom of God has come near? If it is the good news, the time is fulfilled. You know, we're in this yes, interesting... both and. Both and. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> I would say both and. Both and. And, and you know, um, not everybody listening may know that actually uh, there is a problem here with the language the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, you know, the rest of the verse seems to mm-hmm. convey the idea that the moment of decision has arrived. The time is fulfilled. That's couched in the perfect tense, mm-hmm. which would seem to speak of something that's already happened. The call to repentance and faith also implies that the time is now. But the verb angiken, 
is the perfect of engizo, which means to simply approach, to draw near. Mm-hmm. It's tantalizingly obscure, I think. And the debate here, there's been a debate that has centered on whether Jesus' message was that the kingdom of God was near or whether it was here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you went like I did and you're new at Greek, you looked at this and you, you know, looked through your through your your Greek primer and you tried to look right. for this word and right. you, you know you just didn't feel very comfortable about your attempts to translate it. Yeah. <laughs> so because that, we want to make it we want to think it sounds like it ought to be here. But the language seems to resist that for for some reason. Mm-hmm. I personally I think this kind of goes along with Jesus' reluctance to ascribe titles of the Messiah to himself. Um, mm-hmm. Later in Mark's gospel, he's going to tell his disciples that you know the mystery that they have have access to the mystery of the kingdom of God, and so the mis- the kingdom of God is a mystery. And what is that mystery? And 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 part of the mystery is is it. Is it near or is it here? <laughs> so this is an interesting use by Mark, I think, the, the writer, just to, to choose this particular verb and this nuance that it has, as you said, tantalizingly obscure yeah. nuance. A- actually, actually um, uh, Matthew has the same language uh, when he reports mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same, it's the same exact word. Um, um, and so really... It's not just an issue with Mark, it's an issue with, with probably with Jesus preaching. Jesus probably preached it this way or, or some way similar in Aramaic, perhaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so all the, all the synoptics do report Jesus' announcement as something like what we have here, uh, that the kingdom of God is near or it has come near. You know, that's really, I, I, this is really fascinating because if you're thinking about an oral tradition that, that preceded writing this down, that I think is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. They can just tell us that this, they can just tell us that the kingdom is here with Jesus. And they don't. They mm-hmm. stick with this careful language that Jesus used. Right. And I wonder, you know, if people are reading the gospels, these, these, these pieces that are, that are telling us about, um, about the kingdom of God or telling us about the coming of Jesus. If there is something, if there's something to that in, as we are introduced to it as readers, that we can come to believe through them this way. I mean, if there's this instead of being so upfront with us, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know, and I might be wrong because, you know, obviously Mark tells us right away, Jesus is the Jesus Son of God, the Son right, of God. Right. and yet at the same time, there's something about reading the, the novel, if you will, the, that, the gets, story. that gets yeah. you to, um, that gets you involved in it. It does, and, and using yeah. this might be might be that sense of of engaging the, the reader too, or and, and the, the person hearing the story. I, I don't know. I'm just yeah, intrigued. could be. Well, and one of the things that I would say for sure is when you compare the gospel parallels, you see that the gospel writers are very keen to preserve the words of Jesus. Because mm-hmm. you see a lot yeah, of, you true. see a lot of uh, verbatim um, uh, agreement mm-hmm. between the synoptic parallels. And so, you know, definitely there, there was an emphasis on that. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you know, this theme continues in, in the other Gospels. Matthew and Luke both report that Jesus re- instructed the disciples to deliver the same message, that the kingdom has come near, is mm-hmm. near. And in the discourse on the coming of the Son of Man in Luke's Gospel, Jesus refers to the kingdom as near when you see these future things coming up, which seems to point to the fact that it's not here. And, and 
You know, also in Luke's gospel, at the Last Supper, Jesus says he will not drink wine until the kingdom of God comes. And that's a subjunctive construction that points to something happening at some undefined point in the future. And so, you know, the, the wording of all of this would suggest that the kingdom of God was not here in Jesus' ministry. And yet... Yeah, and yet. And yet. You know, and this has spawned quite a debate, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. But but the consensus that has come out of, of that debate is that it's both and. So, so the consensus that emerged is that Jesus' ministry and teaching made the kingdom of God a reality. Mm-hmm. And we see this in... Um, uh, a text especially that's it's parallel and it's reported in both Matthew and Luke Matthew 12:28 Luke 11:20 um the Jewish leaders are accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul or by the power mm-hmm. of Satan and Jesus says you know how can that happen a kingdom divided itself will not stand but if i by the in Matthew, spirit of God, in Luke, by the finger of God, cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it's a different word. It's not engidzo, it's phthano. And here it's ephthasen in the aorist form. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And so the idea is Jesus' actions demonstrate that the, the kingdom, kingdom of God has is, come. Is, has come. That yes. It's here. Yes. Yes. Uh, and in Luke's gospel, they, they come to him in Luke 17, 21. They come to him and ask him, you know, how will we know when the kingdom comes? And he says, it's not something you have to observe because the kingdom of it's God is among you. Mm-hmm. It says in the new RSV, I would say a better translation is in your midst. Yes. And, yes. And so that's the already mm-hmm. aspect of Jesus' ministry and message, that Jesus has already manifested the kingdom in his preaching and in his ministry. On the other hand, there is a not yet to that already. And the not yet is that the kingdom has not yet been completely manifested. And that awaits the coming or the second coming of Jesus. Just, just cool. I hope everyone's having is nerding out as much as I am. (laughs) And, and, and this careful use of language here, um, that I think skips that we skip over a little bit in the English. We just we don't see it this way right. as someone a Greek reader would see. And, it. and I really think that is the mystery of the kingdom of God. It is here truly mm-hmm. in what Jesus does and, and and in his preaching, but it is not yet fully here. Yeah. It, the full uh, presence of the kingdom awaits the coming of of the Son of Man. Yeah. Oh, it's very cool. All right. So keep all that in mind because we may head back to this later in our in our podcast. I just think this is incredibly cool. But let's move on to another theme here. Um, what one of the big themes here is um, repentance and faith. We've talked a little bit before, prior to this how repent is such a, a tough word even to conceptualize. We don't like to use it. We don't think our congregation likes to hear it. So tell us about repentance and faith in. In this. Sure. So um, it seems fairly clear from Mark's summary here that the that the response demanded by the presence of the kingdom of God is repentance and faith. Now, repentance is a well-known concept from the Hebrew Bible, and it, it doesn't really come out necessarily in that particular word, but there is a Hebrew word, shuv, which uh, occurs just all over the prophets, mm-hmm. and it's turn. Basically, the idea is to turn, turn from your sins, turn back to God. Uh, and, and that 
idea of turning really is this is is what underlies the concept of repentance. I think in the New Testament, um, and so uh, repentance involves an awareness of wrongdoing. It involves acknowledging wrongdoing at times publicly. I mean, if you go to the temple and make a sin offering, you're basically publicly acknowledging you've sinned. Uh, the determination to stop the wrongdoing and a commitment to lead our lives in a way that is going to enhance life and not diminish it. Now, interestingly, the believing that Jesus calls for here is not in himself, but in the good the news. The good news. <laughs> the good news. So again, that question I asked earlier, yeah, what that good news. What there is you it? go. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think the good news here, and it's, it's, he doesn't spell it out, but I think if you read the Gospels, the implication is the good news is that in Jesus, God was intervening in this world definitively in a way that would change everything. Right. In Jesus, God's kingdom, God's reign of justice and peace and freedom uh, become real. Yeah. I think we'll revisit this. Sure. Because Calvin is going to talk about this sure. as well as a big piece of it. And that kind of now head into a kind of a shift um, into calling the first disciples. My first reaction was we talked about this last week, right? <laughs> and yet we got different people. <laughs> yes. um, right, right. And not that that's necessarily a, a problem. Do tell us a little bit about this calling and maybe this calling after we hear this uh, introdu introducing the introducing Jesus' ministry. Okay. Well, and, and again, yeah, this, this section of Mark's gospel is, is sort of um, presenting us with uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus begins by preaching the gospel. Jesus begins by calling his first disciples. And in Mark's gospel, he perhaps randomly encounters Simon and Andrew and later James and John by the Sea of Galilee. And the challenge to me with this text is that we have no indication in Mark's gospel. If all you had was Mark's gospel, you would have no indication that Simon, Andrew, James, or John had any prior knowledge of Jesus. So when he calls them to follow him, we're at a loss to explain why they would simply walk away from their lives and their livelihoods to follow a stranger. And in my opinion, and I, I would say this is not just my opinion, but this is why the lectionary inserts John 1, 40 to 51 oh, prior to yeah. our text for today, because the traditional solution to this problem has been to say that um, John's account represents a previous encounter with Jesus on the part of these disciples. And so uh, under this view, Mark's story of Jesus calling them by the Sea of Galilee would not be the first time they met Jesus. You know, obviously that traditional solution makes a little more sense. I don't think it really does justice to Mark's gospel. Now, I will uh, give an aside to this. Um, Matthew and Luke both present Jesus as calling the same four disciples at first. And um, in Luke's gospel, we have perhaps the fullest account and the one that makes the most sense. Um, well, because, in Luke, you get a couple miracles first. So you get this idea that Jesus has done something right, before disciples right. come. So, so Jesus is teaching. He's pressed by the sea. He asks if they, he can borrow their boats to, to teach the people. And then afterwards, you know, he, he tells them, you know, go out and let your nets out. And, you know, Simon Peter says, Master, we worked all night. We haven't caught a thing. And he said, basically, trust me, do this. And so they catch so many fish that their nets are bursting and, and they, can't, they can't even contain the catch. And so this miraculous catch of fish then precedes Jesus calling to the disciples to follow him. 
Um, and that perhaps makes the most, most sense mm -hmm. in terms of a logic of events. I will say, how again, I think if we're going to look at Mark's gospel as a gospel, I will say we should, we should see how this plays out in Mark's gospel without necessarily trying to bring in the right. information it's, from the other exactly. gospels. Exactly. We're kind of collapsing again. And why this? I mean, I think it's significant that Mark introduces this without having Jesus having to prove himself first. Yep. Yep. I think that's really important um, with it. And I also think that their call is, is, is combined with action. Yep. In other words... Yep come and follow me. It's not a, I'm going to tell you this, you sit here and think about it, contemplate it, and then think if you want to join me. Right. They respond immediately. And, and I think yeah. that's Mark's part of Mark's call and this immediate immediacy that he has is this inside when you respond to something without giving it that forethought. Yep. Yeah, there's something going on inside. You know, you have a spiritual encounter when that happens. Exactly. And I think there's something of that going on here, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. Um, I think part of the answer is that Jesus' call was not an invitation, but a summons. Exactly. And, and you know, one of the things we see in Mark's gospel is that when whatever Jesus does, people recognize he has this special authority. And um, so it could be that they sensed that this was not someone to be trifled with. This was someone when he called, you followed, you know. But it could be people are drowning. Mm -hmm. Come and save. And I, I visualize it too. Mm, yeah. If you've ever been in a, like a, a witness, a car accident, and right. you just know you go and you help. And you right. don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Or someone's like, I need your help now to save this person. And you go. There's a later on in the gospel stories, you know, we do have Jesus using the analogy of the fields are ripe to harvest. And so there is an urgency. There is an urgency mm -hmm. about the work, I would say. Um, and, and, and I think the way Jesus, something about the way Jesus approached them, I think they would have sensed the urgency. There was of an his urgency. Work. There I was agree. an urgency. And you see that elsewhere in the Gospels. Yeah. It's yeah. not really reflected explicitly here, but I think we can imply that that there was an urgency about the work and they, they caught that. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time I think there's there's something more to it. I, I think there is something about Jesus' presence that's left undefined, but well, nevertheless has a powerful true. influence on people. That's so, true. for example, in Mark's gospel, the people are constantly amazed by him. Right. And, uh, of course, part of that is because of what he does. But I think um, part of it is that there is just simply, there's something about Jesus that we're meant to see um, influenced people, that people people caught on to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think about um, the fact that these four disciples, simply upon encountering Jesus, they heed his call and they follow him immediately, yeah, as yeah. Mark loves to say. He loves right. to use that word exactly. immediately. Exactly. They follow him immediately. No no hesitation, no, well, what do you think? No That's discussion. Exactly. They follow him yeah, immediately. Exactly. But I think we also see this, we've talked about the Roman centurion who at the end of the gospel declares at, at, after yep. Jesus died, truly this man was the son of God. Well, again, this centurion probably had witnessed dozens of Jewish men dying on crosses. What was it about this particular man that would have right. influenced him to say that? Right. And I think, again, the implication is there's something about Jesus that he sensed. And I, I think we're meant to see this with the calling of the first mm -hmm. disciples mm -hmm. in Mark's gospel. Okay. It, it's, it's the, it's, it's, there's something about Jesus. Perhaps part of it is his sense of urgency about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. But there's something about Jesus that... that seems to right. um, uh, convince people 
that uh, he is he is special. He is something. He is not mm-hmm. just your ordinary, you know, um, right. messianic pretender. There were lots of so-called right, messiahs right. in there those were days. Lots, I I I I guess I I hate to think of people's faith riding on you know a glowing Jesus kind of character going. And I wouldn't and, say it was that. I would say it was the force of his person, of who he was. And then so I think about it, you know, in terms of that spiritual encounter. Mm-hmm. When they met Jesus, it wasn't just yeah. like, oh, hi, how do you do? Yeah. There was something about him that they sensed. Yeah. And of course, we don't know that. I mean, Mark no. doesn't ac- actually tell us no. that either, no. saying, oh, they had this sense that this was the Son of God and followed. He didn't say that. No. So, no. There's a lot of space here for us to kind of take in what we're reading and 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 process as readers. What I think would make we can use I think we can use our informed and inspired imagination to try to understand mm-hmm. this. Why not take your boat in, take dad home? You yeah. could still follow Jesus, right. can you? But I think there's something about that following Jesus is also an action. Well, and and I think this reflects the the gospel writers emphasis on discipleship and the nature of discipleship. We want to be careful of reading too much in, but I think there is that sense of urgency here. All of it, I think, was co- combined. The urgency, uh, Jesus, the, the uniqueness of Jesus' person, uh, and the uniqueness of the encounter with Jesus, and um, you know, just, just the situation, it all contributed to the fact that these disciples would just drop everything and yeah, follow him. exactly. And I think yeah. Mark presents it that way because I think he presents that as the example that we're meant to follow. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I guess in my mind is still the beginning, it's the very beginning of the gospel. Mark is, you know, taking us on this journey for mm-hmm. us to figure out. Sure. To us, for us to figure out is indeed this the kingdom of God here? Is this the good news? And so I could see that as being an example, but also part of our drawing into that conclusion at the end. Yeah. Part of the, as part of the story. Yeah, we, we have to so. go all the way through to the cross mm-hmm. to really get the mm-hmm. fact that yeah, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is here mm-hmm. and at hand, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it has, God has intervened through Jesus mm-hmm. definitively in, in the lives of all people. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep thinking of when I'm hearing people saying, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I pray at home, you know, and their, their discipleship isn't about action. And this is about action. Yeah. This yeah. is about getting up and following and and doing, yeah. as opposed to, ooh, I'm a Christian in, in, in my basement. The um, New Testament yeah. doesn't conceive of discipleship that is uh, a Lone Ranger kind of thing in your basement. Yeah. The yeah. New Testament conceives of discipleship being being carried out in the community of believers. And to be all that you will, that you would drop what you do and go. So in, mm-hmm. in that respect, yeah, I, I think it is probably a model um, for what what we were supposed to do. Yeah. But, so, okay, let's talk a little bit more about just this nature of who these people were, these followers. Um, um, you know, thinking about, I was thinking, who follows Jesus? If I had, didn't know the Gospels, you know, you would think they might be rich or successful people. But here we have fisher, fishers. So yep. tell us about that. Well, they live by the Sea of Galilee. And so, I mean, you know, folks who live by the water tend to make their living on the water. And um, to some extent, right? And mm-hmm. um, so um, uh, these were men who were making a living by fishing. And, and if you've ever made a living by fishing, you know it's long, hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that day, they were fishing with nets, which meant, you know, they were casting nets out and then pulling them in by hand. 
Um, it involved working long hours. It involved working often without any tangible rewards, and at times even putting their lives at risk. Mm-hmm. Perhaps if they're out on the boat and in the in the Sea of Galilee, and a, and a storm comes up very quickly, which mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. in the Sea of Galilee. So um, uh, you know, just the very fact that that this was the life that they knew uh, makes it interesting that Jesus, when Jesus calls them to follow him, he either makes the statement or the promise that Jesus would make them fish for people. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's hard for us these days to really get the right idea because we think of fishing as, you know, lazily sitting by a lake, casting a line in with a fishing pole. And if you catch something, fine. If you don't catch something, you know, the whole point is yeah. to have fun. It's, that's not the idea. Right. The idea is that Jesus was calling his disciples to follow him in the work of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Uh, in the work of planting seeds among those whom Mm -hmm. they encountered. And ultimately, in Mark's gospel, he calls them to the work of taking up their own cross and following him on a path that would lead him to death. And so I think we have to understand, follow me and I will make you fish for people, in that line of, of the various ways in which Jesus frames discipleship in Mark's gospel. It's, it's about uh, proclaiming the good news. It's about planting gospel seeds. Um, it's, it's called working a harvest, which, you know, in those days, you did it by hand. You swung a scythe, and, and you know, you'd be covered with dust and, and mm-hmm. covered with crop dust, and you working all day mm-hmm. from, from dawn till dusk, you know, at, at harvesting wheat. It was a, it was a hard, hot, mm-hmm. dusty job. And, and fishing for people has that kind of... Mm-hmm. I think that kind of tone to it. it. It's, you know, they knew hard work. Right. They were no strangers right. to hard work. And he was calling them to put, the, put that effort into the work and the risk of following Jesus mm-hmm. in, in proclaiming the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about this. You know, obviously this is, this is part of the story. And this is, um, um, this is part of the, the, his, the historical Jesus as well. I mean, that the... Call, calling fisher these fishermen and yet you know you wonder that these particular people are called mm-hmm. you know that that people are called that that are they're used to hard work but these aren't the intellectuals these aren't the leaders of society i mean i think that's a really interesting piece of of what actually happened but yet probably god's providence as well taking yeah. into and I, it's pretty cool um yeah. to think about yeah i think it's pretty telling of God's call on on us, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the and in in the world. If you look at the Bible, it seems that God delights time and again mm-hmm. at using the least likely people to accomplish His purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, David was the youngest of his brothers. Yep. You know, yep. and nobody even he was out tending the sheep. Nobody yeah. even thought to call him oh, when heavens, Samuel no. comes to anoint the new king of I, Israel. <laughs> no, he's just a stupid little brother. Yeah. 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 And and that happens over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Those that God chooses are the least likely yep. people. Absolutely. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. So many. And fishermen. It's very interesting. It fits that pattern. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, we are going to come back and uh, talk about uh, a little bit of uh, Reformation. Okay, thanks. Yeah. 
We're back, friends, and uh, we're going to um, interview Christy about how the Reformers approach this passage. And so I'm just going to start off by asking, Christy, how did they deal with this passage in particular? Sure. Uh, This passage was a lot harder to find uh, a lot of stuff on, and I think it just wasn't a major consideration of the Reformers. Um, You know, often... um, you can find all kinds of, of commentary. They're using it in their theologies. And, and this one, not so much. It just wasn't as, as important. Although it does have important themes for some of their broader pieces, for example, on discipleship. And we did find some pieces, of course, in Calvin's collapsed um, commentaries on, uh, on his take on it. And, and it, so I think we'll start there and talk um, for, on Calvin who really, really um, used this to talk about repentance and forgiveness. And for Calvin, that was, that was the centerpiece mm. of the gospel. Um, and so that, that this uh, reflected, um, again, more, more the first part uh, of our discussion, of this need of repentance um, and then forgiveness. Um, Sounds like he's focusing on the response as as primary. He's he's most concerned with how people respond to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, of course, you know, then we have to look at his his whole cycle of of justification and sanctification, and it. Of course, Luther is involved in there as well, but with Calvin, when, when you're talking about people are already um, predestined or elect, it's a little bit different. So you're not repenting your sins in order to kind of step into being saved, but that you've already been, you've already been identified mm. for that. But part of that reality then of, of, of your forgiveness is that idea that you have allowed um, God's grace to enter your your consciousness, if you will, it's already been done, but you're not necessarily aware of it. So it's this kind of, uh, it's kind of like falling into um, the realization of God's grace. Sure. Um, and I, I, I read this, and I read it, and I read it, and it's so hard in a modern, a modern context to understand how you fall into something and yet <laughs> are indeed doing it yourself. Yeah. Um, but I think what is, and, and that's part of what when I read this passage myself and I was talking about that response that you don't think about, that's, I think, the kind of thing that Calvin was thinking about, that, that once you fall into it, you're on board then um, to accept that forgiveness. Um, it's not something you really are spending a lot of time consciously thinking about. And, and that it's a concept that became, I kind of got, uh, maybe sidetrack thinking about is you know on what's the agency by which we we do things we decide to do things you know um do that last minute choice and and hear that that last minute choice really isn't your choice but god's choice in you yeah it sounds like in in, in calvin it's kind of almost a foregone conclusion that if god has called you then god's calling is not going to be in vain and, and you're going to follow through with that right right <laughs> and and boy is that it's it's a hard it's a hard concept to kind of wrap our brains around and I think it's especially hard for yeah, today. Yeah, we think about, you know, I I trusted in Jesus, you know. I, this is my decision because of our cultural mm-hmm. framework. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am a Christian, and I'm doing it in my basement because I've decided to do that. Not so much, you yeah. know. This is and, and so when that comes in, also this idea of repentance, 
takes on a little bit different connotation as well. Instead of I, the evil sinner that comes in, it's this, it's this kind of recognition of the reality of your human being. And it, it reminds me then in our theology too, we often do our prayers of confession altogether, as opposed mm-hmm. to like a Catholic where you're, you're telling your individual sins because this is your nature. This is the nature of this world, this creation, this created world, which is less than God, right? So repentance simply reflects our fallenness. Yeah, repentance reflects our fallenness, but we, we have to identify that mm-hmm. in order then to... You have to acknowledge ex- it, yeah. Exactly, live yeah. into the forgiveness of sins. So that became, that became a big part of trying to understand really what Calvin is after. Um, so the kingdom of God... It, is really that call to faith ah. for Calvin. So um, the good news, the message is a call to faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And faith in Jesus, I would think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And so what an interesting... Um, Contrast, really, from what I presented, you know, based on Mark's gospel. Yeah. 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 Kind of. And so, the, and of course, and then... He makes separates repentance from the kingdom of heaven. And mm. I hope that's something exact. So it, it precedes. It precedes it. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. So, so you repent first, then by faith you enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, repenting is something you do through grace, but you, you are identifying this because God allows you to be able to identify it. It's, it well, and that co- makes complexity. sense also with some of the language that the New Testament uses for the kingdom of God because oftentimes when it speaks about the kingdom, it speaks about entering or inheriting the kingdom. And so I would think that that probably yeah. shaped their understanding uh, as well as their focus on how does one enter into the kingdom mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. God. Again, it, it's it's more of this realization piece is there because it was all, already when we talk about entering and what we do to enter, we talk about us doing it instead of God mm, doing it in us. Right. This is free salvation. Mm-hmm. And Calvin's really big about saying this is free salvation for those elected <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that we might turn to him. I mean, that was the language that he used. We could turn to God. So it's... And again, I'm using it in that terms, in terms of thinking about what, how do we decide to do something? Those decisions based on what is really conscious, that we really think about, or just that we fall into. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that delicate shift that I think is really hard we to get into. Feel drawn our sh- to something, and so we choose. Yeah, that, yeah. But did, did we really choose, or were we drawn? <laughs> right. Did we choose, or were we drawn? Yeah. You know how and and. That's that kind of um, that that kind of more um, ethereal understanding, and and we want to make black and white decisions with things. And this is more you're making decisions, but it's not your actual choice. Mm. Um, so I, I guess then discipleship may or may not be your actual choice. How did they how did they handle that? Exactly. How is discipleship not not so much if indeed you fall into that awareness. Mm-hmm. Then you'll fall into that space. And so then again, as I point, you know, talked about that the, disi- the disciples, um, Andrew and Simon Peter, didn't actually sit there and think about whether they were going to go. They just got up and went. Right. It was that immediacy with it. And I think that's where, where Calvin is at as well. Once you, once you kind of open your eyes that Jesus is there, you jump into that discipleship. 
or your eyes are open your for you. Your eyes are open for you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, and so, so it's almost automatic. I guess I guess for, for Calvin, it's almost automatic that, that once your eyes are open in faith, you're going to follow right. in the path of discipleship. Right. So sanctification, does sanctification automatically follow justification? Not immediately, right? Yeah. It, which is interesting because you are still you're still in a sinful world. So mm-hmm. you're still pulled by that. But it seems to be so it seems to be a growing process by which you are you are living into that but once you are once you have become um aware of uh, aware of this then you start to to behave and do the things that would put you on this path to seeing god's grace working within your human your human life and again i would think that that you do that because you're drawn by the spirit into that life of sanctification exactly exactly which which is strange because i mean it it's different from the way we present discipleship today you know we present discipleship as kind of a choice and a call and we call people to discipleship these days and that seems like for 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 calvin um discipleship is not something we do at all it's something that that is done in and through us. Exactly, exactly. Mm. At at least in in how it functions, right? In reality, I'm not sure it really worked that way in in Geneva, but in how it functions. I don't think it makes sense in Calvin's world, though, in in Geneva when he had this church and people continue to misbehave because Mm -hmm. he's like, if you're called to this, you're truly called to it, you're just going to be participating in the life of the church. You're not going to continue in a sinful way. So it was kind of an easy, became pretty easy to identify then who, you know, who's truly Uh, saved and who's not. So for him, if you, if you're on the path of discipleship, if you're on the path of sanctification, then you truly are a Christian. You truly have been called and you're living into that. And if you are not living into that sanctification, then you are not truly called and yeah. you're not truly a Christian. Yeah. So it becomes it, it becomes become a, a dividing a line. Judgment. Yeah. Exactly. So that allows something like the consistory mm. to judge wow. who can take communion, who can't take who should I we take out, who should we keep in? I think about today, I think I think the majority of us would probably be kicked out. <laughs> oh, wouldn't we though? Uh, what well and there's of course there's space for you know, making a mistake. There's mm-hmm. space for following it in that sinful nature taking over. There's a chance. So there's a chance for you to, 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 con- to confess. There's a chance for you to become right with yeah, God. But again, there's this, if you continue to do this, right. there's um, a line you can cross. There's a line you can yeah. cross and then yeah. you're, you're kind of done. And so that marked Calvin as being pretty harsh. And yeah. I think it's kind of interesting We've talked about this before. When you look at the history of our our Presbyterian Church, and you look at this, you know this this guide for um, uh, discipline in in our book of um, yeah the rules of discipline a, a yeah, book, yeah um, a book of order, and we don't like them. Well, that really stems from some of Calvin's earlier yeah, pieces. Is how you return yourself to being. Um, right with God and it allows it, so it, it, can't, it took on a, a more I think it was more what am I trying to say a more central kind of significance to the Christian life for us we see the rules of discipline as kind of almost you know sort of this judicial falderall exactly. you know minutia but for for Calvin it was it was essential to to working out your salvation Ab- so to speak. absolutely yeah. absolutely and for people that were called and the people that may have gotten off track but are truly part of the elect mm. um, that should be and just des- desiring or at least you know through god to be 
right with God, but have somehow gotten off track. So this should be Mm. a positive part of our discipline is that we have a way for people to um, come back into line and to, 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 to do the kinds of things that um, allow them to be right with the church. So it's kind of a funny thing because as I said, we look at it today as being so, so backwards um, and so kind of opposed to who we we see we are and um but again it's also dealing with the church that 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 started um also as as having a secular role as well mm-hmm. you know that didn't have a division of church and state like we think of today and that didn't have an individual conscious in a way we think of today you know we talked about this this isn't the guy who says i'm a christian in the basement if you're doing that then you're not really a christian because you aren't functioning within the common wheel of of society you're not and, well and you're not part of the the community of believers and not part of the community of believers so you know if, if you really continue on that path then you've kind of proven to yourself that you know, you're, you might, must not be part of the elect. So what a strange, what a strange space for us as mod- in, in the modern world to try to wrap our brains around. It just, um, because I think in today's world, it becomes just another arm of what is a secular activity. And it, to me, it also puts a lot of shame on people, mm. you know, and I don't, I really don't think that's who we are. And I, I don't necessarily think that's how it was originally conceived, mm. but that is kind yeah, it of how it like plays in, out in calvin's in calvin's i guess in calvin's intent it was to be restorative perhaps it didn't play out the way he intended right, it for it to right so anyway that was one of the big pieces of it and of course for both of these people for both luther and calvin and really your, your reformers as a whole um this is a call to discipleship being open to to anyone called i mean mm. the the the, the disciples aren't some unique, you know, highly educated group of people, but these are open to um, this call and this immediacy of this call of, of people that are, are common people, um, people that far away from Jerusalem where the most of our action is going to take place, or at least the most sure. centering action. We're by the Sea of Galilee. Right. We're by the Sea of Galilee, right. in the, <laughs> Galilee in the middle of nowhere, and here these people are the ones that are going to follow mm-hmm. and spread the gospel. Um and so this idea of discipleship um, coming out of this uh, uh, is very different than a, a limited, a limited handful of men that are going mm-hmm. to be disciples. But that, that this is a, actually open to to more folks and and average folks. All right. Well, let's uh, let's meet back again and talk about some uh, current day things. Okay. Thanks. Hi, we are back, and uh, it's exciting to uh, look at this together because clearly there's different things pulled out, and in the first part, we really talked about the kingdom of God, but then we noticed our reformers were more talking about repentance and forgiveness. So let's talk about why we have this kind of these two different places of which to come to this, this part of the gospel. Well, I think, you know, when we're dealing with the reformers, you know, you mentioned it that they just kind of took this to be factual. They just kind of took this to be an event that happened, and so they just kind of skimmed over it. I think that was kind of more their understanding of the Gospels 
than in our day. And so um, toward the end of the 19th century, there began to be more uh, biblical scholarship around who is the who or who is or who was the historical Jesus. And one of the mm-hmm. one of the points upon which people focused was his preaching of the kingdom of God and whether the kingdom of God was here or near. And so you have um, uh, end of the 19th century, you've got people like Johannes Weiss and Albert Schweitzer Mm -hmm. who argued that Jesus proclaimed a kingdom that was entirely future. In the early 20th century, C.H. Dodd came back and said no, and he was working mainly from John's gospel. He said no, Jesus proclaimed a kingdom that was entirely present in his ministry. And then uh, a little bit later on, toward the mid part of the, 19th, uh, the 20th century, George Ladd formulated what came to be known as inaugurated eschatology, or the idea that the kingdom was present in Jesus' ministry, but would only be fully manifested in the end. Mm-hmm. It's already, but right, not already yet, not idea yet. that seems mm-hmm. to be the consensus. That's, and mm-hmm. so, but that was something that happened in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So, you know, there wasn't even that, that whole question of who was the historical Jesus and what was his message wasn't even being asked. Right. In the in the Reformation it, era, it, it really no, it wasn't, and that's a, something of the the modern mindset yeah. that we that we get out yeah. of. Um, and yet, there was obviously a historical Jesus, right? And so, th- so for the reformers, this is something that happened, but they didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out exactly how. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that Calvin did do was was you know he kind of explained, look, these he did recognize these gospel writers come from different. places spaces and they're trying to reach different audiences so he was aware of that which Mm -hmm. i thought was really really Mm -hmm. good he didn't try to say oh gosh they just all had different ideas of the truth he was really talking about they came from different spaces but that um disciples were called and they were fishermen that's you know pretty understandable and that's really not a big it really wasn't that big of a deal for him that particular piece that becomes part of the the nuancing of the of the a historical Jesus folks, you yeah, know. Yeah. Well, and and it you know, it makes sense that Calvin would put all this into his framework of justification and sanctification because that was just that was the that was the structure of his that was the fundamental structure of his whole theology, mm-hmm. you know. You know, it's not so much what is the kingdom. The kingdom is basically eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's assumed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the question then is how does one enter into the kingdom, and Calvin is really much more concerned with that. Right, right. How does one enter into it instead of if it's here now or if it's here later? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's the bigger question for him. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so let's pull this apart a little bit here um, into this world that we're in now. Um, I think we have come to accept this already, not yet, but how does that play out in terms of discipleship? I mean, (laughs) okay, if the kingdom is not yet, do we really need to be concerned about it, it at all? I mean, right. you know, um, right. is it is it what is, is it what will Jesus do? Is it <laughs> what did Jesus do, or is it what is Jesus doing? Yeah, you know. Yeah, my my response to that is: What are we doing on Sunday morning if the kingdom of God is not, in to some extent, already a present reality? Mm-hmm. You know how 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 can we explain transformation in our lives in our encounter with Christ and with God and with the Holy Spirit if the kingdom of God is not somehow present is not somehow a reality and so I think you know we come at this from a very different idea 
about what the kingdom is. Jesus, I think, was was presupposing a Hebrew Bible approach where, you know, God reigns Mm -hmm. in the Psalms. God reigns by virtue of the fact that he is creator, and God reigns by virtue of the fact that he's our redeemer, and that's just a fundamental part of our reality. Mm-hmm. God reigns. So so the kingdom of God is something that is always right. present. That's always present. Always has been. Mm-hmm. But the prophets also say there is this future kingdom that is coming. God is going to come to reign. God is going to come right. to rule. Right. And and so there is that aspect as well. And um and I think um I think Jesus is is presupposing more this kind of notion of you know, God reigns. God has always reigned. God has always reigned over his creation. And God reigns as redeemer and savior as well. Right. But one day God will reign in such a way that, right. you know, um, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and right. Jesus Christ. Right. That, that, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that kind of a thing. I think the problem is that people's experience is more bound up in secular egoism than it is in the reality of God's reign. Uh, that they just, I mean, what are we taught is our sense of identity is in me, and they can't conceive really. I mean, a lot of people say, even even if they could speak the language of church, they're still looking at church as something they go to and mm-hmm. something they do, but they haven't embodied this into the reality of who they are and what they do. It's kind of like Calvin, just sit there and live into God's yeah. grace, but they don't fully recognize that it's happened. So the reality is caught up in, um, in me. And they're, if you will, their their ground of understanding the world is me. And I, I started to think about Paul Tillich a little bit and you know the ground of being. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, God is being the ground of being, sure. then you've got this sense of, the, if that's the reality of the world, then you could start to to pr- process out that God reigns. Yeah. That's, you know, and we could go into why Tillich might or might not work, but but this in this particular case, I think it might explain a, a difference between why people are are not in tune with, sure. with the kingdom being here now, sure. present. Well, uh, you know... Um, and I think I think part of it has to do not only with with how they see themselves, but how they see what they see going on around them. I mean, there are lots of kingdoms in this world that are much more powerful than what would seem to be the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the kingdom of Wall Street, you've got the kingdom of Madison Avenue, you've got the kingdom of Washington D.C. You've got you've got all these different kingdoms that are that are that are influencing our daily lives in a much mm-hmm. more tangible way. We think than the kingdom of God. I think part of it also reflects, you know, we 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 go through the motions of our worship. We're not very mindful. We're not very present with that. Mm-hmm. And so we rarely have spiritual experiences in our worship. And for right. most people, their spiritual experiences in life, they can probably count on one hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And so, because and they so, don't open their eyes. No, <laughs> right, because they're, they're just kind of going through the motions on mm-hmm. Sunday morning, and they're not really seeing themselves as active participants in worship. And so, and or the Christian life, for that matter, perhaps. And so, um, um, the 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 one, two, three spiritual high points they've had in their whole life 
it really doesn't convince them that God is a is 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 a reality exactly in this world, and, and yet that is the good news. <laughs> the good exactly. news is that God always has been and always will be and is now working to accomplish His purpose in and through our lives. Exactly. And, and so I would agree with Calvin in in that aspect mm-hmm. of it that that god always works to carry out his purpose um he does it in in maddeningly hidden and subtle and quiet exactly. ways but yeah. god is always at work that, and we have to quiet our minds we have to quiet our hearts to be able to tune exactly. into it but god is always at work and but, yet the the part of calvin that i would disagree with is it's not something that just works automatically and i think that's right i think and i think our modern i think our 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 modern reform tradition recognizes that more right as we've moved forward that that i would say yes and no i think in our in our in our in our messaging we we recognize that but i think there's still this this um um inheritance of our tradition that you know if you ask someone uh are you a christian They'll say yes. I'm a member of such and such right, church. Right. 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 And so that right. it's like it's like you said with Calvin. You, you know, you 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 open yourself to the gospel. You become a part of the church, and then it's just something that God draws you into, and it kind of works automatically. Right. And that's kind of the the legacy that we've inherited in in our churches. Right. People believe that being a member of a church right. means yeah, I'm a Christian, and they don't have they don't. this notion of of uh, working out your salvation, or or exactly. or um, stepping up to a higher level of discipleship. They, exactly. They they and it's super interesting. And I I think people don't realize when you talk about spiritual disciplines and all the all the resources that we have, they don't even know that we have the daily office right. in our. Right. I mean, it's in our glory to God book. If you haven't opened it up, right? I mean, these things are part of our tradition and yet we kind of ignore them which is really interesting we do um and i was processing this i was thinking about discipleship and the call of discipleship to everyone and you know it's kind of like we've turned into medieval the medieval christians were all christians but they went to church like twice a year yeah um you know and they they all kind of understood probably in a, even a different sense today that God was there and that they should have their baby baptized. And they understood these basic things, but basically their religion was very different than, mm-hmm. than you got your dose of grace. Yeah. But when you come into the reformation, it's this whole sense of God's presence now in everything you do in every place all of life is sacramental and what i you know what i studied which which were hymnals um and we think of a hymnal as something we have inside of our church pew but these hymnals are published that people had them in their pocketbooks along with and they didn't have just hymns they had prayers Mm -hmm. they had psalms probably oh of course psalms hymns and and hymns written for specific things you know you were supposed to be saying a prayer before dinner and after dinner and before bed, you're supposed to have this kind of constant prayerful awareness of God. And most of us maybe have it on Sunday morning if we are taking enough time not to smile at the baby in front of us in the pew. <laughs> what a different what a different sense yes. of discipleship from the day. And unfortunately, I think it makes us terribly, terribly anxious because 
um, we keep wondering why life seems so dissatisfying and why we're so unhappy. And because I think we keep looking for fulfillment in all these places. Well, you know, instead of through the means and through the spiritual disciplines that we have at our fingertips, um, which are right there. Yeah, yeah. One of my, one of my favorite uh, authors, Henry Nowen makes it very clear that, you know, the, the only love that is really going to satisfy our hungers is the love of God. And we have to find a way to access that um, not just on Sunday morning. And, and I think I would say most people probably don't access, don't have a sense of God's presence even on Sunday morning in the sanctuary because they're preoccupied they're with preoccupied. Whatever, whatever is going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that happens a lot. You know, um, this kind of is a, is a segue, but, you know, how do you practice those things now as, as disciples? And, and I, I'm thinking about this in terms, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, and when this comes out, we'll still be in the middle of a pandemic, although hopefully we'll have, we'll have an end in sight by then. I think one of the things that the pandemic has highlighted is the fact that the primary uh, expression of discipleship of most of our people is coming to worship mm-hmm. on Sunday. You and I both know that there are lots of means Absolutely. for us to pursue discipleship without being in the building. And um, unfortunately, our, our folks are struggling with that, I think, right now. They, they are. And I agree. Part of it is their idea, their only concept of church is indeed worship. And yet here, <laughs> I would say, in some ways, God is challenging us, um, you know, potentially through the pandemic of how we can be the church um, and best be the church and that probably is sharing, doing, like we saw in our scripture today, these, this call has yeah. always been about the doing. And the kingdom of God here, I think, is also about the doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, discipleship is about how you live your life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a matter of being intentional, you know. And these are all words that we use about that. But I'm not sure it really sinks in to our people uh, because their understanding of discipleship is I'm a member of such and such I'm church. I'm a member of such and such church. <laughs> you know, so maybe our question should be as, as this ends, what it, what it looks like then. Have we developed some new habits? Um, have we developed some new things that people are doing in their ministries at this point? Um, should we have be learning something from this as people of God? Maybe it's what are we doing in the future? How, yeah. do, how are we how are we using this to um, to be the church? You know, my my hope has been throughout this time that God would work in our lives to deepen our discipleship, so that um, mm-hmm. when we come back together and are able to gather more freely, we're we're functioning at a at a higher level, hopefully, or a deeper level of discipleship you know, than w- we were before. I, I wouldn't be surprised if people come back simply just cherishing how much they value being together. Mm. And that might be really extraordinary, actually. I, and it, it, it may do something that is un- unexpected. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Christy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. 
It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.